0: Over the past 2,000 years, there have been many songs written about the birth of Jesus, about Christmas. In fact, you've already sung uh, several of those songs here this morning. And as you were singing, um, there were times that I didn't sing at all. I was just listening to you sing, to you singing the, the words of those beautiful songs. And I was doing that because we're often marked by the songs we hear other people sing. For example, this past weekend, I was looking at various articles online talking about Alzheimer's patients. These very people who struggle, of course, to remember the names of their own children, the name of their spouse, sometimes even their own name. But something miraculous happens. A light bulb goes on the moment they hear songs from their past, songs that touch them. Suddenly, they begin dancing The dance that they were able to dance with their spouse 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And they danced that dance together for the first time in years. Suddenly they began singing songs. They knew every single word and began singing along. You know, beautiful songs. Songs from the past. Songs like, Love me tender, love me true. All my dreams fulfilled. Or I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. You see, songs, they mark us. They make us cry when we hear them. They help us to finally remember certain events from our past. They define a truth in the only way that a song can. And that's why we love the songs of Christmas. Because they bring us back. They bring us back to the days of our childhood. They bring us back to that one particular snowy night. And they bring us back ultimately to that little baby in a manger. That's why this morning I want to focus on the first song. The first song of Christmas. It's unlike any other song that's ever been written. See, unlike so many songs that take us back in time, this song looks forward And unlike so many songs that are here today, gone tomorrow, this song has stood the test of time. It will never decay. It will never decay because it's the first song of Christmas written by a teenage girl by the name of Mary. Many of the lyrics of this song were birthed from a place of pain. See, when the angel Gabriel showed up and told her that day that she had found favor in God's eyes, that she was going to give birth, The Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. This was astounding news to her, but horrific news to her culture. See, while she was engaged to Joseph, she was not yet married. And an unwed pregnant girl in that day and age would have been treated as an outcast. Joseph could have set her aside. In fact, according to the law, the people in her own town could have stoned her. John Ortberg wrote. He says, "In a very real way, she suffered for the Messiah before the Messiah ever suffered for her." You ever think about that? I want to give thanks to John Ortberg, as I did last week, just for his research. It's astounding. And he wrote about this teenage pregnant girl, this girl who sang the first song of Christmas, and in her pregnant condition, she first sang this song to God the Father. And then she would eventually come to sing this song to God the Son. And it was a song birthed in Old Testament scriptures, of course. You see, she knew the Old Testament. And she also knew her culture. And so as she began to sing this first song of Christmas, she put those things all together. See, in her day and age, the most prominent man in the world was Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. After Julius Caesar died, Augustus was declared to be divine, divine. People called him the Son of God. After seizing power, Augustus ended all wars and instituted a long season of peace that historically is known as Pax Romana. This in turn gave him the reputation as being the bringer of peace. And because of this great accomplishment, he was esteemed by the masses as being their savior. In fact, when he was inaugurated as emperor, he was it was heralded this event as being good news. The same words by which we get the gospel. And therefore, Rome would use the following expressions to refer to their powerful leader. You see, he was their savior, he was the Son of God, he was the bringer of peace and the provider of good news. Sound familiar? You see, as powerful as Augustus was, Mary knew her son was going to be even greater. And so as she sang this first song of Christmas, she bestowed upon him the very names only given to the emperor at that particular time. And as she begins singing this song, she exclaims, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, my Savior. See, because she was the recipient of God's saving work, Mary applied the good news of the gospel first to herself. See, because of God's mercy, Mary knew that she was saved from sin, the curse of the law, death and damnation. It's why she continued to declare, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. See, within Mary's song was this theme of submission. Mary knew God. And she clearly understood that God was her authority and that she was his servant. And it was out of this very beautiful relationship that she sang From now on, all generations will call me blessed. They'll call me blessed. Why? Martin Luther stated it best when he said, Mary does not say men will speak all manner of good of her. Praise her virtues, exalt her virginity or her humility, or sing of what she has done. But for this one thing alone, that God regarded her, men will call her blessed. That is to give all the glory to God as completely as it can be done. Not that she is praised thereby, but God's grace toward her. Mary actually affirmed that statement by declaring, the next phrase of her song, She sang, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. See, Mary declared that people will call her blessed not because she would do great things for God, but because God would do great things for her. And this astounded Mary as it should astound us here today. And like Mary, we should not only stand in awe of God's great work on our behalf, we should stand in awe of God because God, He alone, is holy. God is completely separate from sin in everything He is and everything that He does. It's because of God's great holiness that Mary declared His mercy. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. She sings of God's mercy. A word, I think, that's often misunderstood because we look at mercy and we look at grace and we think, okay, what's the difference between the two? I like how one theologian stated it. As he looked at Mary's song, he wrote, Grace emphasizes God's love toward those who don't deserve it because of their guilt. Mercy is love toward those who are in misery as a result of their sin and guilt. Even though mercy is stressed here, grace is not excluded They are two facets of the same jewel of God's love. See, Mary stressed here that God's mercy, that His love toward those who are in misery as a result of their sin and guilt is extended only to those who fear Him. Fear. Godly fear. There's two ways to look at it, depending upon your relationship with God or perhaps the relationship that you don't have. You see for those who don't have a relationship with God godly fear is this it's the terror and horror experienced by unbelievers before the judgment seat of God that's powerful but for those who know him who call him father godly fear is the reverential awe combined with childlike trust a believer experiences before his or her loving father and Mary here was talking of the latter she knew god She knew his power. She knew his mercy. Fast forward 2,000 years, and unfortunately for many of us here today, God no longer holds this kind of power in our lives. You see, instead of a God who rules and reigns over us, we now view God as a friend, kind of a buddy, who really doesn't care if we do anything wrong. After all, what's a little wrongdoing among friends? Everybody does it. See, as Mary sang her song, she knew that God reigns over us. And I suggest this Christmas season that we embrace her view of reality. For it is only a God who rules and reigns over us who can perform, as she sang, mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. See, in the Old Testament, whenever God ruled mightily with His arm, and the the Bible would talk about His powerful right hand... When he would rule powerfully with his right arm, it meant he defeated all those who tried to oppose him. And he did so because these very people were wise in their own eyes. Such arrogant wisdom stems from what got us into the sin problem to begin with. This word called pride. Pride begins with our inmost thoughts and manifests itself through our actions. And as Mary sings this song, this first song of Christmas, she makes it crystal clear that God scatters such people. He brings them down. As Christ's own brother would later write, he said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you catch that? God opposes the proud. He brings down the proud, but he lifts up the humble. And this truth in Scripture sheds God's perfect light on something known as the forgotten inversion. The forgotten inversion. It is forgotten because in our humanness and arrogance, we fail to remember that what is so foreign to us is so completely central to Him. This is why Mary declared, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He brings down rulers, the ones that we naturally esteem. And he brings and lifts up the humble, the ones that we often overlook. And this is called the great inversion. Thankfully, the song that Mary first sang before Christmas, she continued to sing long after Christmas was over. I'm sure that Mary heard this song many times because this is how it is when a mom writes a song and sings a song about her baby. When our son Daniel was born, my wife Carol, who had not claimed to be a singer or a songwriter, wrote Daniel a song. It was a song that she kept singing to him over and over and over again. Eventually, I came to sing it. Eventually, he came to sing the song. And when Melody was born, well, she got a song of her own that Carol kept singing to her, and and Melody would sing that song. In fact, if you run across our kids this week when they are coming home here today and you ask them about their song, they could sing that song to you. They know it well. That's how it is when a mom sings a song and writes a song about their child. She can't stop singing it. And so it should not at all surprise us that when Jesus grew up, he went to a mountainside one day and preached and delivered the greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon based on the very inversion that he heard his mother Mary sing about many times. Do you remember what he said? Do you remember his words? These words have virtually been heard in every corner of the world. Listen to them. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus would later sum up these various inversions by making a single statement that should garner our full attention. He said, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus came to change the order of things. He came to set things right why the Apostle Paul, much later, would remind people of this forgotten inversion as well, just to make sure that all Christians everywhere would always remember it. And he writes beautifully of you and of me. Listen to his words. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows the the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God shows the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul would write about this great inversion. Jesus would speak about this great inversion. But before they ever did, it all started with a teenage girl by the name of Mary who sang the first song of Christmas and sang about this great inversion herself. Someone once said that Mary's words condemn us all, but they also comfort us all. For those who have been struck down by condemnation can also be lifted up to new heights once again because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why Mary closes her song in the following way. She sings, He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. Just as He promised, key word, our ancestors. And so, what is the promise then that that God made so long ago to Abraham, this promise that still is given and provided to us? What is that promise? It's the promise that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all God's promises of grace and mercy to sinners everywhere. The question is, have you received His promises? Have you? Because you'll never know what's inside a gift until you open up the gift. This means perhaps this Christmas season, it's time for you to finally open up the gift of His grace and His mercy in order to experience the great inversion He has in store for you in your own life. See, Jesus came to pick up the broken. He came to encourage those who are without hope. He came to exalt the humble. And the first true act of humility, friends, is when a person comes to the point and says, You are God, and I am not. You are the Savior, and I cannot save myself. Jesus, I need you forgive me. I want to follow you and love you with my life. I encourage you before you leave this place this morning to pray a prayer like that. Because if you do, you will experience His great inversion in your own life. And in that moment you will come to know Jesus as your Savior, the Son of God, the bringer of peace, and the provider of good news. This is why Christ came at Christmas. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, we thank you for your incredible gift. You saw us in our great need, and you gave us a Savior, a Savior who could save us from all sin. And this morning, we thank you morning we praise you because that same Jesus who was born in a manger 2,000 years ago is still here. He's alive. He longs to reign in our hearts. And so as we contemplate the beauty of Christmas and all that it means, we thank you that we can know with all surety that Jesus Emmanuel, He is God. And He is God with us.